Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Case File 21 of Microscope, the show that examines some of the world's biggest mysteries. To kick off Series 2 of A Bang, we've arranged a chat with an expert in solving puzzles as I talk to world-famous detective Murloc Bones. Murloc is known around the world for his abilities to solve crime, the write-ups of his various cases becoming best-selling books in their own right. This episode explores how he got to the bottom of perhaps his most celebrated investigation, the case of the spooky dog scenario. The initial facts could not be more shocking. Ten people found dead strewn across the moors of Dartmoor, with rumours in the nearby town that it was all the result of being mauled by a ghostly hound. Though as to be expected with a Murloc Bones case, the truth is not quite what it seems. I talk in depth with Murloc about how he eventually solved it, but the recording starts with me asking Murloc about his early work and how exactly he would describe himself. Yes, I, 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 I basically uh, am a freelancer, if you want to put it like that. Uh, if there's a crime that they feel they need help with, I, uh, I'm drafted in. I don't want to uh, blow my own trumpet, <laughs> but um, I'm, uh, I'm bloody good at what I do. Simple as that. Yes, you're widely regarded as being one of the smartest people in the country. Uh, have you always been sort of academically gifted? I remember when I made a uh, Victoria Sponge at the what? age of two. Right. Uh, people couldn't quite understand how I did it. Mm. Uh, I'd uh, uh, woken up one morning, uh, Saturday, very early. Everyone else was asleep and I thought, I'm going to make a Victoria Sponge. Yeah. You know, a lovely smell uh, for the family to wake up. I mean, is there a need to elaborate much on this story? You're just saying that when you were young, you made a cake. Well, I mean, uh, by your tone, um, <laughs> yeah. it would suggest that uh, you see a lot of two-year-olds making Victoria Sponges. No, not uh, at all. Let it's... me tell you. No, let me tell you. Neighbours, family and friends were agog at what I'd done. And uh, that was when people thought, well, hang on a minute. This kid might be... The real McCoy. A bit of a genius. A bit of a genius, yeah. Uh, at seven, I... Uh, made a souffle. Uh, you know, I started, um, made a souffle and a quiche. And it really dawned on them that they thought I would have a future in baking. Yeah. But let me tell you, I was more interested in where the eggs came from. Right. I was more interested in battering the eggs. I beg your pardon? I was interested in how these eggs just turned into a sponge. But I couldn't care about the cake. It was more about the process. Yes. And when I discovered my first body at the age of 11, Good I Lord. thought, I know what to do here. I know what to do. So how did a history of making cakes at an early age uh, help deal with the fact you discovered a body at the, <laughs> the young age of 11? You show me a pineapple cheesecake. Mm. Oh, look at it. I'll walk around it. Yeah. I'll spend some time with it. Okay, what? I will then, I will spend some time with it. Yeah, I heard you. I could tell you how that was made. 
Sure. I could write down the ingredients, yeah. and I could probably have a guess on how it was done. Yeah. That is exactly how I approached the body. How are those skills transferable? Well, because you just work backwards. It's right. as simple as that. Right. I saw the body, and I thought, this is exactly like looking at a cheesecake. I can just work out who the person is. Uh, I can work out why they've ended up here, and also, sadly... Why they've left this mortal coil? What did you glean then, just from looking at it? How were you were you able to work out who the victim was? How they met their unfortunate demise? Well, I uh, took the wallet out of the breast pocket. I opened up the wallet, took out a piece of paper, yep. and for a brief second thought, "My God, this is the Queen." It right. was only a couple of minutes later that I realised I was holding a five-pound note. A couple of minutes, I took you. And actually, it wasn't the Queen. But it was a chap called Derek Fawn, a, uh, a well-known criminal. Derek Fawn? And how did he die? He had his head chopped off, right. which I thought was incredible. I mean, I'd never seen that something like that before. No, but you're, head, you're 11 years old. Yes, I was, 11 years old. And his head was actually about two, three metres at the other end of the, uh, the, other end of the road. So, so you um, found him on a road? It, well, or, yes. Now, the problem when you find someone is... Uh, I don't care who you are, you're suspect number one. <laughs> no, I don't think you are in this situation, not as an 11-year-old boy with a, with a fondness for cheesecakes. At the time, I, uh, I don't know, I mean, I was clever, but I was too clever at school. Right. I, um, you know, I got bored very easily because no one could keep up with me, so I, I was a bit naughty, I guess you could say. I was a bit naughty. So there were suspicions around that I had maybe... Um, Taken this bloke's head clean off, right? Because you were you were a bit of a swat at school. You were you were implicated as the suspect number one in the crime. I was incredibly bright as a child. Hmm. Uh, I remember when I was nine and the fairy cakes that I just yeah, produced I, I, time yeah. and time again. You made a lot of cakes as a child. I did. I, I really uh, really did. But that's by the by. I do not believe in crime. What do you, what does that mean? I, I do not believe that you are born a criminal. I don't believe that if you commit a crime, you are a criminal. Right. Well, one of those is probably true. They're both true. That's right. why I said them. Yeah, I, I, I sort of, sort of have an inkling at what point you're sort of trying to get to in terms of society and morality and whatnot. But I think a, a clear crime has been committed when an 11 year old boy finds a corpse with its head removed. Yes, that was a crime. Um, right. I, I, I did have to put my hands up and say, you know, actually, this, uh, this definitely is a crime. His family weren't happy when I gave that little speech. They said, uh, this looks like a crime to us. And I went, you know what? You're right. And, uh, and very quickly, as an 11-year-old uh, child, you were able to solve this particular crime, work out who did it and how it happened? Uh, I went to the funeral. I brought a uh, Black Forest gatto. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, I circled the room and I did what I told you earlier. I observed. And, um, I mean, the ball's on this guy. The guy that had done it actually turned up to the uh, to the funeral. Let's picture the scene so that everyone's sort of there. It's quite a sort of solemn service, as people remember the, the, the demise of Derek. You're doing what? Laps of the room? Just walking around the perimeter, glancing at everybody, whilst apparently eating a cake of Black Forest Gatto? Yes, I am uh, doing laps of the room. I'm walking around the coffin. I then walk around the congregation. I'm dressed all in black, and I'm eating a black forest gatto. Right, you're sort of doing a sort of figure, a, fi a, fi a figure of eight formation around the around the congregation and then the coffin. <laughs> yes, and I'm also, you know, I don't turn my back on anyone either, so I am at sometimes uh, walking backwards, uh, and I'm just very slowly observing everyone. 
and you know I'm a precocious young man. So people are giving like speeches about Derek. There's a vicar giving a sermon. That's all happening, and you're just walking around. Yes, uh, the uh, the vicar um, he did ask me to stop a couple of times. Uh, I did get in the way when they tried to lift him out, and um, I also did laps when they uh, buried him. I uh, circled the uh, the coffin and the congregation. Now it was raining. Uh, it was a very muddy day, and uh, I was circling for for quite some time, to the extent where I actually started lowering myself, and uh, I created almost like a moat around what do you mean? Uh, you, the you, congregation. You, you were doing so many laps that you you basically dug up the ground in effect, and, and water filled the space. Well, yeah, I mean it was an empty moat. Uh, the rain was later, but basically what happened as the coffin was lowered, I was also six feet under. Uh, because I'd been walking so ferociously around the congregation. Uh, I crawled out and then realised that everyone was actually stuck on this kind of like island. Uh, it then rained terribly. Well, one of the worst storms I've seen in 10 years. Uh, that then filled the moat. And, uh, yeah, so uh, that was... Uh, well, they weren't happy with me. But I guess the perfect locale in which to point out who was responsible for Derek's death. Exactly. I had trapped them. I, uh, I called the police and I said, uh, one person on that island killed the person who is uh, in the coffin. Uh, and so uh, one by one, uh, we went through. It was harrowing. Uh, I have to, you know, the fa- family weren't happy about this at all. But we did find our culprit. After about two hours, uh, he'd had enough. He jumped in the mud. Oh, I see. So he, he he just gave up. You you didn't actually work out. You didn't deduce who it was. You just spoke long enough that the person who was responsible just you know, couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it. He couldn't take it. He said he was getting wet. He was getting tired, and he was bored. Uh, so he jumped in the moat and he tried to swim away. Now, I mean, this guy's thick because you know, the moat is just circular. So yeah. he kept swimming away, and he kept saying, see you later, suckers, stuff right. like that. But, rather but then than, he'd just come but, back round. So rather than trying to cross the moat, he was just doing laps of its circumference. <laughs> he, he didn't work out, and I, I, mean, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that big an island. It was about the size of maybe, I don't know, a, a small bedroom that can house a double bed. I don't know, something like that. He just kept doing laps. So he'd, he'd go around one way, and he'd go, you'll never catch me. Yeah. And then he'll come round back the other side, and he'll go, ha-ha. But did you know uh, I can go this way? He's right. saying stuff like this. Did his enthusiasm wane in his conviction that you wouldn't catch him as he, as he constantly came back to where you and the police were, were stood? I remember on the 12th lap when he came round, you could tell in his voice when he went, Oh, you boys are good. Yeah. I remember thinking, yeah, we got him here. Right. He's tiring. And then as he, as he went back round, yeah. I said, uh, See you on the other side. And he went... So we waited for a bit till he came back round, and then he went, oh, oh, right, well, uh, and then we just helped him out. Yeah, right, arrested He him. was arrested, and uh, he has been in prison now for 33 years. Now, that was you, aged 11, solving crimes. You're now a grown-up, a, a full-grown man. And I want to talk about a particularly mysterious case that has been spoken quite a lot uh, in the press of late. And how you describe this, the case of the spooky dog scenario, I believe is how it was reported. And this is what, this is your assertion that a murder in uh, Dartmoor wasn't the result of ghostly dogs, as was reported in the press, but, but was actually at the hands of, uh, of a murderer. There was a, there, there was a crime scene. Always start with a crime scene. Yes. Um, as I said in my uh, first book, there can be no crime 
without a crime scene. Yeah. Take away the crime, you've just got yourself a scene. <laughs> yeah. I turned up, I remember the day well. It was uh it was cold and it was raining. Yeah. I found a shocking, shocking uh how would you describe it? I, I mean it was it was it was a it was a crime scene. Uh, ten bodies everywhere. What do you mean everywhere? Well this scene was big. Uh, have you ever been to Dartmoor? Uh, a couple of times. Well, once maybe, is on a family holiday a long time ago. Yeah, there's a there's a Greg's, there's a uh, there's a W H Smith, and so I decided. And, and lots of moorland. There's a hell of a lot of moorland behind the W H Smith that I was in because I always like to get a notepad, bit of paper, and a bar of dairy milk. Right. So you can you can write down the clues. You don't you don't keep a notebook on you all the time. No, never. You buy one in each new city you visit. I never. If if I solve a crime, I uh, well, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. <laughs> You're very good. I uh, open the notebook to the last page that I wrote something on, which is usually the name of the person that I think has done it, mm. and then I frame it. And so uh, I've got a room in my house with uh, fifteen hundred open notebooks, yeah. all. With the names of people that I have, um, I have sent away. Hundred percent success rate? No, no. Uh, there are a lot of names on there that I'm, I'm very sadly. Uh, I, I wish I'd carried on writing because, um, uh, yeah, not they, all they, of them they, are. They, they were wrongfully convicted. Yes, they were. And no, and no thought to remove them from this trophy room. I don't believe in regrets. I don't believe in. Uh, you know, I face my mistakes head on. I like to wake up and think, yes, you know what, I got that. 400 cases wrong but they you know you need light and shade you can't just walk into a room and see success so well <laughs> i can believe that uh, so heading back to dartmoor then you've got 10 bodies spread out as you say quite a wide area sort of try and paint this crime scene for us well, it's about a three mile radius uh where these bodies are um and that that's a lot of tape what do you mean uh, like police tapes are cordoning the area off yeah about three miles square People don't pay attention to tape that big. I mean, I've got the one end and then some kids have broken it the other side. And I, and I sort of don't want to get too morbid about this, but how did these 10 people die? What were the sort of, um, what sort of, what sort of signs were on them? How were they, how were they sort of found? Let's start with the feet. They had been completely chewed up. Now I know it's not a great image. So I'm walking around thinking, right, okay. I went to the next body, the neck, huge bite marks in the neck. Right. I'm going over to another body. Bite marks on the fingers. And a couple of eyes missing. All right, that's not great, that. I'll write that down in my notebook. These bodies, all ten, had been bitten. You're, you're looking around uh, thinking, is there, a, is there a monster out there? You know, and I started shouting that. I started shouting, you know. Is, is there anyone, is there anyone out there? there? Stuff like that. That's what the locals were saying, wasn't it? That, that there was some sort of beast on the moor sort of eating victims. There had been a rumour, there had been a rumour in the WH Smith uh, staff room that... Um, Why were you allowed in the staff room? I had to, I had to question everyone in Dartmoor. Right. And uh, they, they, they said that there was a rumour that out the back, uh, when they threw away sandwiches and uh, chocolate and such like, uh, every day uh, they were missing. I explained to them, uh, is that because maybe the bin men had collected it? Uh, they said yes, and so we moved on quickly. They weren't a clever lot in there.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And were the, um, the victims connected in any way? Were they, do they know each other? They uh, all worked at the same uh, same branch of uh, Debenhams. Yeah, uh, th- they all worked on the third floor, you know, where they sold speakers, uh, radios, televisions. And then, what did you do to sort of try and get to the bottom of it? Did you like go undercover, try and sort of um, state the place out? I've put my life in uh, danger many, many times, and I thought the only way of seeing if there is something out there is to go out there myself. Out on the moor. As bait. I stuffed my trousers with uh, pork and apple sausages. Yeah. I put uh, two lamb chops in my shoulders and... Um, Some other meat in your clothes. Yes, and uh, covered myself in uh, salted butter. I walked out to the, uh, to, the dark, to the dark moor. In the hope of what? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hindsight, you know... Harry Hindsight's the biggest yeah. trader in town, if you ask me. I, I, I haven't. People do, you know, say to me, you're mad. Why would you do that? What were you hoping would happen? And I said to them very simply, I would hopefully meet face-to-face whatever this thing is. And then they went, well, how won't he kill you? And I said, I don't care about that. I don't care if I'm killed. I would have seen the criminal face-to-face. And so at this point, you were convinced that it, it was an actual person, it wasn't some sort of demonic dog roaming the, well, the papers, the papers were saying it was dogs. Uh, this old woman, uh, some journalist had spoke to her, and she said uh, there was no sound of dog, so it can't be dog. And then the journalist went, well, what if it's something like a ghost dog? And she went, well, what's that? And he went, well, you know, it's a dog, but it doesn't bark because it's a ghost. I mean... I don't know what the hell's going on here. When I read this, I thought, this isn't journalism. This is gutter gut press. <laughs> so so it, it, was, it wasn't the belief of the people in the town. This was solely manufactured by the newspapers. Jeremy Bell, and he is a Bell, this guy. Yeah. I called him and said, I'm reading your piece about ghost stocks. Have you lost your mind? And he went, who am I speaking to, please? I said, I am Detective... Murloc Bones. <laughs> Murloc Bones. Yeah. And he started going, you know, as I've had all my life. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I don't know, Balbert Einstein. I mean, I said, I said to him, what, is that a joke? Is that funny? Do you know what, Jeremy? You're a, you are a bell. And then I'm, I'm looking at his name on the paper. I'm like, you are a bell, Jeremy. He went, no, I'm not. I'm Theremy 
Mel. I'm like, what the f- <laughs> yeah. He's taken the piss out of me. So I said, where do you work, young man? It was a newspaper. You've just, you've just read it. Yeah, I know. He said that to me. He went, are you thick? And I, you know, I, was on, I thought, oh, I don't like this guy at all. So I went to the offices and I spoke to his editor. I said, is this the kind of journalism that you uh, are like poaching around this town? Uh, you know, ghost dogs kill 10 people. I said, is that what you're up to? And he went, well, read page five. I went to page five. There's some mad stuff about uh, some killer wasps that are apparently um, building a tunnel underground. I mean, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's an appalling newspaper, this. But I said, people read this stuff and people believe it. Now, you need to be on my side here. I do not believe it was ghost dogs. I believe it may have been, uh, you know, a human being. And they went, okay, well, what's your proof? And then that's when I went out onto the moor. Yes. So it's what? It's night time. I guess it's pretty quite a sort of spooky sort of situation. You're there covered in butter and <laughs> with sausages down your trousers or whatever. Uh, what happens? I got about 10 minutes onto the moor. I'd been walking and, um, you know, it was completely pitch black. I didn't know where I was going. All I had as guidance were the stars above me. Mm. I had my phone, of course, and that's got a torch, so I turned that on. And a map. Um, You know how the desert, uh, it's very hot in the day, but then at night it's very calm. Mm. Well, it's exactly the same mid-August on on the the moors. Yeah. It is... Bitter. I'm going to use that word. Bitter. Thankfully, I was covered in butter, so I was actually quite warm. But um, I could sense it was bitter. There was a crunch on foot. And that's not just because you had bits of apple and pork in your socks. (laughs) Yes, that was due to uh, I was wearing a bag of crisps on either either shoe because I, uh, uh, I wanted people to hear me coming, you know. I wanted to entice... And so you're out there trying to sort of, you know, be bait. Do you see the beast? Do you see... Um... I was out there till about four in the morning. At 4.12, I remember it. I mean, as though it was uh, as though it was yesterday. At 4.12, I hear rustling. Uh, again, that was my... Uh, the crisps on my, um, on my feet. I was, getting, I was getting restless. Yeah. But this clearly had been picked up by... Now, again, I don't know what I'm looking for. The creature, the man, the woman, the beast. A shadow casts across the moor, and I see him. It's not a ghost dog. It's not a human being. Right. It's a mad dog. (laughs) Right. So so it wasn't a ghost dog. It wasn't a murder. It, It was a dog. It was just a dog that had gone mad and killed ten people. Well, I mean, this... This dog is mad. Let me yeah, tell you. I'm not, I'm not disputing the madness of the dog. I want to make absolutely clear, there wasn't any murder or any foul play. It was just a mad dog. Correct. Right. But I, uh, I, he came over to me. And this dog is mad, mind, and killed ten people. Yeah, well, I'm scared. Who, who, who by coincidence, happened to work in the same branch of Debenhams. But that, the, that's by the by. Yeah, that is by the by. That was just sad. Right. Also, they didn't shut the shop the next day. I thought that was quite rude. I was like, well, who's on floor three? Yeah. Anyway, the dog can't believe his luck. I mean, imagine you're a dog and you're hungry and then a bloke comes around with sausages and butter. And this dog is mad. (laughs) This dog is mad. Honestly, I've met some mad people in my time, you know, because that's what I do. I go into, you know, I I, uh, talk to mad people. I've never come across a mad dog like this. And also it had like a, 
kind of, you know, like he had like David Bowie had a multicolored eye, it's like that. Right. He had like, he had a weird like marble eye. I don't know. The guy was insane. So anyway, he's he's jumping all over me. He, uh, he was ravishing me, ravishing. <gasps> right. <laughs> I mean, that word means what you think it means in that context. So you're there being attacked by this uh, this mad hey, hey, dog. Tore, he was tearing all my clothes off, taking all the uh, taking all the sausages, and um, so I ran. I just ran across the moor. Yeah. And I'm completely naked, covered in. Of course muscle. you are. Of course you are. I'm thinking to myself, as long as I can get back to the town. I'll be all right. So I run up, and there's that old woman again, you know, the one who talked about the ghost dogs. Oh, yeah, well, 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 I didn't mention the ghost dogs, but the journalist invented it from what she was saying. Yeah, I said, uh, I said, she said, are you okay? I said, do I look okay? I'm completely naked, covered in butter, but it turns out that journalist was half right. And she went, oh, what, there's a, there's a ghost on the moor? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, you're mad. There's <laughs> a dog out there that's mad, and it's killing people. So she went, right, what are we going to do? I went... You're going to have to go out there and get the dog. <laughs> why? why I you... can't go back. Right. She went, why me? I said, if that thing stays out there, he's probably got another 10 minutes before he finishes uh, off those sausages. And then he, I reckon he's going to run into town. So she started panicking. She was like, well, we, we have to warn the village. I said, well, do you know anyone? She went, what about Jeremy Bell? The journalist. Yeah. She went, he could put it in his newspaper. <laughs> this is an immediate threat. Even if you stop the press and make the papers, it's surely it's hours before the news of this is distributed around the village. That's what I said. <laughs> but it's a small village and right. it's, a, it's a small newspaper. Oh, it has a, cir- a circulation of 100, does it? Yeah, and it goes up Christmas for the TV guide to about 200. So they're doing all right. <laughs> she says, if we call Jeremy, we can get it on the front page. And then, you know, maybe uh, by the time the papers come out, we can warn people. And I said, you know, like you have questioned, can this be done in 20 minutes, woman? And she went, we can only try. And I thought, oh, I like that. So I called up Jeremy. I said, hello, is that Jeremy? He went, uh, no, it's, uh, bury me from, uh... You know, he's doing my name. I went, you know what, mate? I don't care. I've got a new story for you. He went, what? I said, it's going to go on your front page. He said, well, we're about to press print. And I said, hold the front page, Jeremy. There's a mad dog on the loose and it's going to be in the village in about 20 minutes. He went, well, I'm only going to be able to print about five of those. <laughs> right. And I said, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. It, it, it wasn't printed so, like a newspaper. He just had like a, what, a, a regular office printer. He would run out a few copies, would he, and drop it in the village shop. I mean, he's the only one who works at the uh, newspaper. It's right. him and uh, an editor. Uh, which is his brother. What's it called? The Dartmoor Times. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, who makes their own newspaper? Weird. But I said, get it out. Jeremy, get it out, get it out, get it out. He pressed print. I could hear him. Yep. Print. <laughs> hear it slowly coming off the, the inkjet printer. So I'm there with the woman, and uh, her name was Claire, by the way. Fantastic lady. And I said, meet us at the clock tower. Jeremy runs down with these five newspapers, and he said... Right, this is about, we've got about 10 minutes to go, I think, before this dog turns up. He's got quite a specific schedule, this dog, for something that's so mad. <laughs> he really does. He li- literally, almost like clockwork. You've got 10 minutes of the 20 minutes remaining in order to what? To distribute these five newspapers around the town. Yeah. So I said, right, how many you got? He said, I've got five. I went, OK, well, one for Claire, one for me. What does she, what does, uh, what does she need a news? Why do you need a newspaper? You know the story. That's 40% of your newspapers already consumed and you haven't told anybody else. 
Jeremy has to have one, obviously. Why? Uh, then... Why does he have one? He knows the story. That's three out of five newspapers gone. Right, what are you doing with the other two? How are you distributing those? The key is the local pub. That's where everyone goes. Right. We run down to the local pub. Me, Claire, Jeremy, we barge in. We go, look, we all hold up our newspapers. We go, read that and weep. Yep. What does the front page say? <laughs> the front page. What did the, what what, what the front page say? <laughs> What was on the front page of that newspaper? We all hold up our newspapers. Yep. Front page says, Mad Ghost Dog. Right, he's put the ghost bit back in again. 20 minutes away. Right. As frustrating as that may be, at least it gets the message out that people should, you know, be careful about this incoming, this incoming dog. I said to Jeremy, I said, what the... F- fuck is this? I told you it's not a ghost dog. And also, it ain't 20 minutes now, is it? It's Christ, it's five minutes. And the pub starts going mad because they, uh, they're passing around the newspaper and they're going, ghost dog? 20 minutes ago, something like... I stand on a table and go, look, it's not a bloody ghost. And they're like, how are we going to see a ghost dog? We can't see ghost. I mean, I mean, I'm like, calm the fuck down. Ignore the paper. It's complete bollocks. But... There is a mad dog coming down from the moor, and he's going to be here in about five minutes. <laughs> in about about well, by this point, about a minute and a half. Right. What happened? Oh my god! There's a knock at the door. There's a knock at the door. <laughs> yep. Who's that? The pub goes quiet. Sure. Tense situation. There's a chill in the air, of course. Mm. Somebody says. Uh, somebody. Uh, somebody at the back goes. Um, can ghosts knock? They just say it's walk through doors. And I'm like, it's right. not a ghost. It's just a regular mad dog. Well, it's like, who's going to open it? I say, Claire, open the door. She's like, what? Why are you always making Claire do this? Claire goes to open the door. It's Jeremy's brother, the editor. Right. Yeah. He's got five more copies of, of the, the newspaper. An, of the newspaper. I'm like, I go over to him. I slam the door shut. I get right in his grill. And I go, your rag disgusts me. There is nothing of what... I look at the front page. It's a late edition. Ghost Dog is outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> Up to the minute, newspaper updates. Yeah. And I said to him, it's not a ghost dog. Like, why do you keep putting ghost? <laughs> yeah, it's before. just dog is outside. It, he's outside. Anyway, that starts going around the pub. Dog is outside. Dog is outside. What happens? We all look out the windows. We can see this dog pacing around. Hmm. Big dog. Oh, my God. Big mad dog. He's mad, he's big, and he's a dog. He's a big mad dog. We're all looking at it thinking, how the hell are we going to... What What are we going to do here? I can tell he's eaten uh, all of my sausages. Right. Um, he, he looks quite full. I can tell by his belly that he's had a bit of a feed, but his eyes are telling me something else. He's... What are the eyes saying? He's hungry. Right. He's hungry for blood. I'm thinking, you know, I'm panicking now. I'm really kind of. We're all looking at each other like, well, at what point do we leave? How, what, how, how are we gonna, how are we gonna sort this out? The landlord, he goes behind the bar. He kind of, well, I thought he was going for a baseball bat. Wrong. A Charles the Second musket. Oh, I see. It's an old pub. It's got sort of old memorabilia from the the Civil War. Yeah. He. Uh, he shot himself. Right. So that was him gone. Right, he's okay. He had enough. <laughs> it was too much. That's him gone. Yeah. So I went, I went, well, that's really annoying. 
And everyone else was like, yeah, that's really annoying. So I was like, well, what are we going to do? They went, well, why don't you get the uh, musket and shoot the dog? Mm. <sighs> now, I solve crime. Yes. I don't commit crime. No, I don't to think To shoot the that... dog would be a crime. Is it in that situation? This is a dog that has killed <laughs> already 10 people. Clearly is, you know, a, a problem. I don't think it would be a crime to, to defend yourself in that scenario. Correct. But I still thought Claire should do it. <laughs> right. So uh, we opened a little window. Mm. Now, Claire shot, uh, you know, because she keeps missing. Oh, so muskets take a long time to reload because don't they, don't they have, to, you have to load them through the front? Well, yeah, that's why she keeps missing because uh, she keeps aiming at where he was about 30 seconds after uh, he'd gone. So, hang on a minute. So she loads the musket and then shoots at the position where the dog was when she began reloading. <laughs> right. Yeah, which isn't isn't clever, is it? No. So I uh, I said to her, why don't you shoot where you think he's going to be? Right, yeah. She went, what do you mean? Like, shoot, like, where I think he'll be in a minute's time or something like that. I said, yeah, right, shoot into the future. Because by the time you've reloaded, he'll be there. Yeah. I thought this has to work. This has to work! Fingers crossed. We had one bullet left. Uh, did you? Right, so the, the stakes are really high now. <laughs> Even though the dog can't get in the pub. No, no, the dog can't get in, so we're, we're right. perfectly safe. Yeah, but you've got one bullet left in your musket. Claire is, you know, has been advised to, to aim in front of the dog. Aim, aim where the dog is going to be in a minute's time. Don't yeah. aim at where he is. Now. So she's looking at the dog. The dog was outside uh, WH Smith. Mm. She worked out in a minute's time the way he was kind of stopping and starting. And yeah, I don't really. Does this does this matter? We, we okay. She 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 aims in front of him in a minute's time. She thought he was going to be around about Costa. Right. I mean, I, I do. I'd love the way you paint detail, but I think in this instance, this particular instance of Claire, the old woman shooting a dog, we could just get to the get to the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> she shoots the dog the dog is now stuffed in the pub and as a reward I was given a silver uh, statue of the dog that was it that was it Claire shoots the dog <laughs> they, they, they stuff it and put it in the pub but the landlord unfortunately dead by his own hands and you got a little silver yes. memorial of that occasion yes and uh, you know um, about a year later I I, I, I I took a year off after that that was a, that was an appalling case but a year later, I thought, I'm going to go over and I'm going to, um, I'm going to, you know, see some old friends. I went over to uh, the offices of the newspaper. I uh, I met Jeremy and his brother again. And They've not got offices. It's surely it's just in their house. Yes. Right. But they had Microsoft Office. Oh, okay. So uh, they called it the office. They do technically have an office. Yeah. You go to the office, meet Jeremy and his brother. We broke bread. We broke bread. We had a glass of wine, and I said to them, do you know what would be nice? If uh, maybe on the front page of the uh, year anniversary, we um, we had a picture together. Yeah. And so he said, sure. So we took a picture, and uh, they, they pressed print. Yeah. What, what, and what was the headline? What was the picture? So the, uh, the picture was us three, very nice. And uh, the headline was, qu- quite simply, uh, Ghost Dog is Back. Right, well, I'm going to have to leave it there. Um, <laughs> Merlock Bones, thank you very much for joining us. I really do want to thank you for uh, asking me to talk to you today. Well, that's all we've got time for. This episode was researched by John Kearns and edited by Matt Ewins. Sound effects were added by Ben Williams and the theme tune is by Nikki Green. 
We're back for a slightly shorter series of about eight episodes before Christmas. Uh, but please write a review or tell a friend if you're enjoying it. Hopefully in the new year we won't be able to go back to doing these live. So follow our Twitter account at Microscope Fun for details of that. Next episode I'll be talking to a fish and chip shop owner who came across a caveman. But until then, remain vigilant and catch you next time on Microscope. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.